Go Loud presents the Lennon Courtney podcast. I'm Sonia Lennon. And I'm Brendan Courtney. And for this week's Archive Lennon Courtney podcast episode, we time travelled to a glorious year in all our lives, 2020. Ah, truly a golden year, but not even a pandemic could stop us from podcasting. In this week's re-release, we look at the father issue. In this episode, we talked about our relationships with our dads, and I share the time I contemplated fatherhood in a McDonald's. <laughs> the new series of Lennon Courtney podcast starts tantalisingly soon, so make sure you get your party ensemble ready just in time. Until then, enjoy this episode from the Lennon Courtney podcast archive collection. So this issue is the father issue and it is by request from one of our listeners who um, made the request in the review section on Apple iTunes. And we love hearing that because not only does it uh, take away the onus on us to come up with a new mm-hmm. idea every week, but it also means that we're giving you what we want and we like that. Uh, giving you what you want, not giving, giving you what we, what we want. Giving you what you want, yeah. <laughs> So uh, I was thinking about this before I went to sleep last night and there's two sides to this, obviously as a man, and we can talk about later, like maybe about being a father, which I hadn't even thought about before. Relax, Esther. <laughs> and then <laughs> there, there, there is the blind spot to talking about this. I mean, in the first series, all those hundreds of episodes ago, mother was one of the first issues we decided to deal with. And I wonder what that blind spot is to our fathers. And we all have relationship with our fathers. My father has now passed away, but I had a really intense last couple of years with him and we did a, a documentary film about him and it was hugely, it was probably the biggest piece of work I've ever done for me personally and professionally and, and my family. So it's bizarre to me and you're so close. Your father did our accounts at the start of our business. Like I know your dad and I'm so well. It's so, what's the blind spot? Like why didn't we think of that? You know what I mean? And I have a theory. I think it's, the woman who had the phone in the 70s and 80s, your mother takes hold of the communication. That's who you talk to the most on Christmas Day when you're away or your mum kind of, does, does your mum or does one's mum block him in a way or does he step back? I, I, I'm very interested what that blind spot was. I think this is really a massively important social issue around the roles of men and women in in parenting, parenting and in sort of wider society. And I think traditionally it is seen that the mother is the kind of warm, open book, um, you know, on a good day, that that's, that's your reality. And that the man has to be kind of the strong, you know, stiff upper lip, um, keep on going provider. And they're, they're kind of baked into what we know of our people. And I just think, I think that it's not necessarily that the mother blocks the father, but that the father is adopting a role that he thinks um, he thinks he should be doing. And, and like I look back at my own father and unbelievably, right, in 1968, when I was born in Ballyshannon, my father decided that he wanted to be at the birth. He was the first ever father to attend a birth in that hospital. And the hospital was staffed with uh, nuns who were the nurses. And it was so um, innovative at the time that, th- that he would want to do this, that the head nun took him for a pint after the birth. <laughs> I think it's just so <laughs> fabulous, you know? She was like, well, fair play to you, you know? Um, and, but my, my dad has um, mellowed so much over time. And I think part of that is him realizing that he doesn't he doesn't have to be um 
you know, so, so buckled up as a man. He's become more comfortable with, and I, you know, I, I love this term, this robust vulnerability. It's okay. And in fact, it's so deeply, beautifully attractive to see vulnerability in people, for, for people to be so confident in themselves that they can share their vulnerability. Some of the, you know, some of the most impressive men I know are, yourself included, Bren, are not afraid to be vulnerable. And I think people are very attracted to that because it shows an authenticity. It shows it shows a confidence. I, I think it's wonderful. And on that, that we've talked about this in the equality issue as well. There's a sea change happening for men and it's hard and we need to acknowledge it. And that man who spoke at the... Um, Jen, at the yeah, it was amazing. At, at your... Um, seminar on um it was addressing the gender pay gap but it was about uh, care wasn't it mm. and how how the care is divided up in the home or whatever but he really touched it and was really eloquent about how it's hard for men to express themselves there's a pressure at, from school from the schoolyard up to be for want of a better term hunter gatherer strong fighter warrior or else weakness is seen as not you won't be able to attract a mate or you won't you know you'll be seen weak and it's it's very it's still there and it's it's it is it's I think it's a new level of acknowledgement that will equal that will create much greater equality in the home between mothers and fathers when we acknowledge that men have are vulnerable afraid oh god I heard yesterday I heard of another father suicide yesterday of father of two kids mm. that's that's three I've heard of in 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 a week in Dublin and what's going on? I mean, I think there's depression, obviously, and there's clinical depression and there's lots of other very serious issues. But I, you hear a lot about it. The incidence of suiciding young fathers is through the roof, right? And what is that? It's, it's bizarre, isn't it? And it's terrifying as well. And I think a part of it is not being able to express your vulnerability. Yeah. So no it's doubt. terrifying. Yeah. So if I think back you know, and, and this is, this is a, a question that you posited at the very beginning, um, both of you really around um, where our fathers sit into our frame of influence as, as people. Um, and I think the go-to is the mother. Oh, my mother was, was you know, so inspirational and so um, defining in who I am. And, and she absolutely was. But when I think about it, my father was no less so. And one of the key areas that I think he had a huge impact on was my version of a normal relationship. So my version of a normal relationship that I carried into adulthood was one where um, the man and the woman loved and respected each other. um, And it was positive I mean, my upbringing, I often say, is dysfunctional by virtue of its function. Like it's it's it was it was not without its difficulties, but it was overall um, a joyful childhood. And and so I think I look around at so many people who I know and the relationships they're in now are the product of the relationships that they had with their fathers. You need that at the moment, because I think, you know, any any, and I look back at the really tough times that my that my mum and dad had in their own relationship. Um, and I know that my kids have, have lived through times where it wasn't perfect with myself and Dave, far from it. And that's the reality of, of long-term 
relationships and nobody writes songs about staying together <laughs> like nobody does that because it's That's just cute. hard oh let's write a song about staying together honestly i should have left you years ago <laughs> <laughs> another song brand has got another song cooking oh here we yeah. go here yeah. we go but it's true right so so that staying together piece that tenacity that sort of trust and respect as an as an underpinning to everything in the good times and the bad um is what i learned you know um and also it doesn't stop there like my dad was the dreamer the entrepreneur he happened to have spent a career in in the bank um in a secure job to to support his family but he was um he, there was a flip side entrepreneur in him uh, that, that, you know, wanted to, to launch a big ship, but, but he just didn't have the mechanism because of, again, the societal expectations on him to be the provider. Yeah. Yeah. My, my parents were like teenagers up to the very end. Like they were jealous, possessive. Uh, they would kill each other and then they would love each other. And there was flowers and it was just like, it was a war. It was exhausting to grow up in. And um, I feel very lucky to be gay because I had to define my relationships. What it couldn't be. And I didn't want to replicate a hetero relationship. I knew that wasn't for me. And I be careful what I say, but I dismay at people who do try and replicate white pick offense and the whole hetero norm that they grew up in, because I think that's, that's the beauty of our of our new diverse cultures. Let's do different things. Let's be different. So um, I c- looked at their relationship and said, that's not for me. I do not want to be in a jealous, possessive relationship. And I, and I had in my early years gone through sort of turbulent, jealous, possessive. But I have to say, I had this realization about two years ago. A lot of the younger confrontations I had in my relationships were just alcohol. <laughs> Alcohol is really dangerous if you're not fully trustful and committed. You know, it just makes people all a bit crazy. So it kind of was like, right, I don't want that. But um, I think there is, a, there is another piece to it where you are, it is your duty to make the wrong choices first. Oh, yeah. To, to validate the right choices when they happen. But, but my parents met when she was 15 and he was 17. I mean, imagine. And I do believe my mother, there's never been another man. Uh, even though she alludes to there might have been, but there wasn't. Um, I mean, that's not natural. <laughs> that's completely wrong. But they did really, I mean, they were what they were able to do was to keep the spark in their relationship. Even though it was very fiery sometimes, it never went out, ever. And it, it kept, dare I say, I mean, it's their version of what was right for them, right? And I'm not going to, I sound a bit judgy, but it kept them very, very vital right till the end, uh, till, and the mom's still obviously in great nick, but that, you know, it kept them very sparky and, and we, we would be embarrassed. They were always kissing and they were very um, public in their displays. And so there was, and dad always, every Christmas Eve would meet Deb and buy mom a surprise and there was never nothing that wasn't. So it worked for them, but it was exhausting. I mean, it must have been exhausting. And, and as a result, unfortunately for them, when they were a couple, they had very few friends. They had relatives and relations and they had brothers and sisters, and that was how they operated. But they didn't have any friends because they couldn't do other couples well. It was bizarre. So, really? And, That's but, very interesting. Yeah, they, had, they went through a little spate of a couple of couple friends, but it didn't last because there would be rows and jealousies. Um, but they, and what they did do was kind of set themselves up but look, look, life is life. And they were very happy for 40 something years. 
Um, but they did sort of set themselves up a little bit for isolation, I felt, because the relationship was so intense. It, it, I often look at them and go, oh, but here's the thing about my dad and that I, that I really appreciated in my 30s and into my 40s, that I was free, freer than my friends in London whose parents were separated, Esther, because mm-hmm. you, you, they felt they had to be there for their parents who were on their own or separate. But my parents were together, for, and your parents as well. They were this unit, like the twins. They had each other, and it was really good for us uh, as adult children. So the fact that they stayed together for so long was actually great for the unit, of the family as well. It made life a little bit easier for us in adult life, I think, just watching how Wayne struggled and how other people I know struggled. Um, but yeah my, yeah, my dad, and that's the funny thing about my dad's father, even though he was as masculine as they came, wasn't he? He was a real bloke builder from 14 kids. Uh, he was so loving. My father would squeeze you and kiss you and tell you he loved you all day long as children, never stopped. And even as adults, he'd kiss you and tell you he loved you, you know. So it, in a way, he was, he'd be strong for you. And he used to say things like, God bless him. He'd say, um, do you think I'm afraid of anything? And I'd say, I don't know, are you? He'd say, no, nothing will ever touch you. And he was very protective and he'd do this big show thing. And I always thought that must have been a real weight as well, that show thing. So yeah, he was a complex, but... Uh, and it, I always say this, and it sounds a bit harsh, but it's so easy to love the dead. They make so few mistakes, <laughs> which is which is a line from a movie, you know. Um, and as as time goes by, they become more heroic as well because you realize what they sacrificed for you, and what you, as you get older, you realize how difficult it is to to rear children and put and get them to point A, then B, then C, and you know get them through life and without anybody ending up in prison or you know. So yeah. I, I, we, we, myself and Ash, and actually Ash is the one, Ash is very, very intuitive and very plugged into kind of emotions. My sister Ash has developed this theory and I actually think she's right. So before my mum went into residential care on the 12th of June and she had been increasingly suffering from progressed dementia. Um, and in the, when lockdown hit, I suppose, and, and, things got really tough and she became really, really chronically depressed. Um, It was horrific to watch. Like it was, she was sobbing all day, sobbing and rocking and just depressed. And um, it was really, really tough on my dad who just, like my dad is 82, you know, to have to deal with this with the woman he loves at that stage of his life. Um, And it was the long road and eventually um, we all came to the conclusion that it was the right thing to do for her to go into care. What was stopping him was this sense that he was betraying her and that he wasn't doing his duty as a husband. Um, and when we finally kind of realised on a human level, we couldn't go on anymore and this was the right thing to do. She went into the home. She's now absolutely thriving. Like she is so happy. She's singing and dancing <clears throat> And Ash's theory is that even in her progressed state of dementia, what was making her sad was not her own situation, but the situation that she was putting dad in. Mm. And, and I actually, the more I think about it, the more I know that to be true. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah. Because she's fine, but she knew he was suffering. Wow. And does your dad see that as well? Does he feel... Does that make it easier for him now? Is he kind of adapted to this new way of life? Yeah, it took 
Um, and I mean, that's 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 why he's such an amazing man. It took him a period of of grieving, I suppose, if you like, after she went into the home, which is probably it might have been kind of August, September. She went in in June, maybe August, early September. He made an announcement to myself and, and Ash and said, I'm OK now. I know this is the right thing to do, but he had to process that. He had to really know that it was right through her thriving in the home, through him accepting it internally himself. Uh, and then he got to a point and he was okay. I remember we had this conversation. I remember Sonia and I was like, do you want me to ring your dad? Because she will be much happier. And because my dad did so well, I couldn't believe it. Cause he was busy. You'd go to see him and he'd be getting his net nails cut or he'd be at a massage or they'd be playing bingo and he was given out but he was busy and all of a sudden from being in the sitting you know in a chair all day at home he would it was like he was in the big I say it's like OAP big brother in here because they're mm. busy and they're stimulated so I, I, I kind of really hoped that for you because you can never tell for sure right some people yeah. don't respond well um, but funny you say that and it's this this might make you think on a little bit and look after my dad and really interesting he's completely paralyzed he's in the bed you saw the whole thing you did and uh you know it was just so sad and the social worker in the hospital in the hospice i said he keeps saying he's fine and she said well alpha men will protect their children and family from any fear so they will say no no i'm fine i'm fine (laughs) you're "You're not fine (laughs) look at you and i said oh and that really struck me that he did to the very end, like the day before he died, he said, do you think I'm afraid? And I was like, I don't know, are you? And he said, not at all. I'm totally down with this in his own way. He said, I'm totally, I'm fine. I'm, I know where I'm going and I'm happy. So don't you worry about me. And I just really, what he was doing was giving us a, you're grand, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about me. And I thought that was such a generous, beautiful thing to do, you know, even in his own demise and he knew what was happening he, he didn't have dementia he just had a stroke you know, he knew very well what was going on uh he wanted us to feel not to stress about it I thought that was very sweet you know it's funny like this I can really see a shift in the in the discourse around fatherhood now I, I was listening to you know news talk which is kind of the ultimate male bastion of machismo you know and and there were two men talking about their experience with parental leave and and I I, I think Again, this kind of stereotyping and this social more of mothers uh, needing to be the primary care in those early years. I, I don't buy that. I really don't buy that. I think that the 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 father can be just as influential and and as instrumental in that early year care, early years care as as mothers can. And in fact, like, is isn't that better that you have? you know, male role models early on. And I think we're shifting. We're definitely shifting. There was an announcement of increased um, paternal leave there uh, last week. And and I think as, as sort of men pull off this cloak of toxic ma- masculinity and say, I want, I want to be here. I want to be a father and everything that entails. And I I'll always say it, that the, the next generation coming up are predisposed to these feelings. Our job is to make it okay and protect that for them and make the change before they get there. Um, fathers are, are massively impactful. 
Yeah. Imagine if, if you take that premise that whatever relationship you have with your father defines, in the most cases, defines your future relationship. That's a terrifying thought. I think even, I think I can't imagine what it must be like to be stuck in, you know, an average home with three young children. Can you imagine? Oh God. God bless them all. But I think the parameters have changed and I think you can function if you've another room from home. So you can split responsibility much easier now. And we were listening to somebody that men are getting a real insight to what it is like to run the home, right? And, um, I, you know, I have a funny one because I have two sisters and they're both mothers and one elbowed the father out of the way. They're my babies, right? And the other one was like, no, you're helping. So it's, it's, it's down to the relationship as well, isn't it? You know, and the problem is, the problem, it's not a problem, it's just a thing, is I've, I have seen in my life, another anecdotal statistic prepare, prepare yourselves mm-hmm. people who have made uh parenting their role it has become their function it has given their them identity. purpose it's their identity and that's a different thing that's 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 about them not about the kid you know that's a different thing and there's no getting involved in that relationship right but i've seen it a lot it, it exists a lot where oh my god i'm all of a sudden i have a big job it's probably the biggest job of my life and Oh my God, I love this job, right? But it's it, it yeah. I, I I don't know enough about the psychology of that to really comment on it. But that's a different thing, right? Right? You can't. Mm-hmm. You never. You'll get your fingers slapped if you try and get involved in that in that relationship. But I think it's very attractive to have somebody need and want you and love you unconditionally, which a baby does. You know, is that that's quite an attractive proposition. Um, so that that I I'm going to have me a baby. <laughs> Me too, and put it in cute outfits and write it songs. I can't wait. (laughs) So I I think, uh, yeah, and I think that's there for fathers as well as mothers if they're if they're open to it, right? Sonia, it would be completely remiss of us not to tell our "I want to have a baby" story. Oh, I love you, Brendan. (laughs) So we're dressed to the nines at the IFTAs, the Irish Film and Television Awards. And you're in a ball gown and I'm in a James Bond tux and we're hungry and it's 3 a.m. and we go to McDonald's on Grafton Street. Not proud, but I was hungry. And in we went in the tux like we're at, like it's our Debs, pair of Egypt. And we, do, we, were only, <laughs> we were only about a year into our professional marriage, I'd say, max. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I had gone through this period of saying, I think I want to be a father. I, I really think I want... And, you know, I, I've read lots about international adoption and unwanted children. And I had worked with a woman who had an orphanage in uh, Korea and in, in Asia and how difficult, how, like just her. And I was like, I'd love to adopt a baby. Would I, could I help? You know, being all oh, earthy. And Sonia was like, what? You want to be a father? And we sat down and she said, she grabbed me by the collar. And here's the five reasons why you don't want to be a father. And I was like, the end of me, Big Mac on. Okay, I don't want to be a father. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) What's interesting about that is um, you were right. It was a whim. And it was a kind of a (laughs) self-indulgent. It wasn't taught to properly. And, and which probably happens with a lot of pregnancies, God bless you all, you know, and to think about it and consider the choice uh, and have a, because actually it's a very big choice because to overcome that choice and to, and, to go, and to do it is a huge undertaking for me, right? Because I either have to go surrogacy or I have to adopt or, it's, you know, it's, it's very 
difficult for someone like me to come. Expensive and complicated. Oh, we used to say, let, let's, you know, find a, another couple and, and see if they want to, you know, do it together. But uh, let's have a really modern family and all this kind of stuff. So, no, that's mad. So when you, can you remember what you told me? <laughs> oh, I have no idea. I, I think, I think it was because the twins would have been about five at that stage. And it, I think I just told you a few realities about what it means to have uh, a young child. Um, yeah. And by the time I'd finished, you were like completely cured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's not something to take lightly, right? As a we father. Talk about uh, a father's role in discipline. Oh, so it, my, we were, wait till your father gets home. Wait till your father gets home. And my dad used to do the cutest thing, right? Because it was the 80s. He used to put his hand over your, his hand over your bum and, and pretend. And he'd say, cry, cry. We go, ah, no, stop laughing, cry. Because <laughs> <laughs> my mother'd say, he was very bold in school today. Give him a slap. Pretend to cry. Hilarious. Very cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I think uh, my dad would have been the disciplinarian. He's mellowed over time. And Dave, I think, I'm the soft touch at home. Dave, Dave is the disciplinarian. He's, he's the tough cookie. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm fond of a little bit of discipline and structure and order. Uh, I think everyone needs it. Um, but yeah, he, he, he definitely takes that role. But I can see that mellowing even now, you yeah. know. And, and as, as the children become young adults, effectively, the, the rules of engagement and the contract has to change. Yeah, I think it was all wrapped up in that stiffness, in that, you know, male archetype. Definitely it was part of it. Because he's a softy. He's a total softy. Like, I mean, that would not have been his natural inclination. So speaking of your dad, what's your outside thing? My outside thing is um, a series of photographs, and we'll, we'll post these on, on social media afterwards, a series of photographs that I recently um, found through a cousin, who shared a, a suitcase, an old suitcase full of photographs from my dad's youth. Um, and just to see him as a boy, to be able to see Finn in him as well, um, like image, image. And, and to, to kind of more and more, and this is one of the things that I love about where we are now in a kind of a daughter-father relationship is to, 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 to talk about, history and to talk about stories and to talk about what happened, the crazy stuff and, you know, stuff that we, we weren't privy to as children growing up, we can now t- t- talk about and have a laugh about as adults. And, and I think, um, you know, with our parents, it's really important to see them as, as whole humans rather mm. than just our, just our, our parental entities, you know, and I love yeah. that. My outside thing is two things, a piece of advice, try and see your parents as humans. And that's a real, it's a real gift for you to see them, their faults as just human, not as disappointing mothers or fathers. Um, And that was a real gift for me in my 28, I saw my dad as a man, as a human. And it was just amazing, just an amazing eye opener for me. It was brilliant. Um, And then my outside thing is going to be a link to the player to my, we need to talk about dad, my love song to my father basically and uh 
it was a, such a great privilege to do. It's it's the one piece of work I've done that people just talk to me about all the time. Really touched the nerve, and it's about the last year of my father's life, and we try to change for a deal. I think we have, but it was really. It's now on the curriculum for nurses. Amazing. And a friend of mine is doing a, a degree and was saying, oh, they want me to go and talk to somebody who's doing a, a master's actually in physio. And he wants me to talk to somebody who's lived with a lifelong illness. And what's, how am I going to learn from that? And I was like, you learn the patient side of it. And I said, and my dad's documentary is on the nurses to see the family side of things, to see how it affects the patient and the family. And, and so that's a real gift. And it's a Amazing. great watch as well, isn't it? It's not a dry beautiful. eye. And it's such an important and impactful piece of work for Irish society. I, I was really, really concerned about you when you were deciding whether to do or not do it or not. I was really kind of almost maternally concerned for you and the and the vulnerability um and the exposure. Um, but I'm so proud of you. It's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah, and it was, it was all down to him. Bless him. He said, yeah, let's do it. And it was great. It was really nice. So Deborah was watching, my sister was watching it recently. She watches it all the time, rings me crying. So it's, it's great to have it. We're very privileged to have it. Oh, warm and fuzzy. <laughs> Love you, Dad. <laughs> Love you, Dad, wherever you are. Well, we, we, can't, we scattered his ashes off a boat. Apparently he's halfway to... He's, North Africa. Be, North Africa, yeah. Well, bobbing around. Well, bobbing around there, delighted with life. Good for him. Anyway. Good old Frank. Rah!